Well, I guess you can tell that I'm not from around these parts. I am from, uh, from a country just uh, east of Wisconsin, and that would be uh, the greatest of Britain. <laughs> yes, they're letting us back in one by one, just so you know. Uh, I grew up in London, in uh, two miles away from Wimbledon Tennis. So whenever you see the tennis on TV, you can think of my mum. If it's raining, you can think my mum is there in the rain. But it's uh, a good part of town, about seven miles from the centre of London. I'm thankful for the opportunity to come and speak to you this morning. John, First John seven, First uh, John four, verse seven to twenty-one. I adore this passage of scripture. Um, I think probably it's one of my favorite passages out of the whole Bible. Certainly it contains one of my favorite verses in the Bible. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and God's love is made complete in us. No one has ever seen God. Hmm, No one. I collect Bible verses like that, which talk about God's hiddenness. Here's another one. Colossians 1.15, the sun is the image of the invisible God. Or 1 Timothy 1 and 1 Timothy 6, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, to whom no one has seen or can see. That's a little kind of weird to talk about that, isn't it? We live in a day and age where so much is made about God's hiddenness. You can't see God, so how do you know God exists? It's going on around us all the time, isn't it? I'm sure you've got friends that tell you, how do you know God exists? Can't see God. We live in a world where we want to affirm knowledge through our five senses. Touch, taste, sight, sound and hearing. We can't touch God. We can't taste God. We can't see God or hear God or smell God. Well, maybe... Taste, tasting God, that can't be. How do you taste God? Hmm, maybe communion, I don't know. We'll have to talk about that afterwards. Anyone tell me they've ever tasted God or smelled God? It's interesting language. But we, we live in a world where people want verification. They want scientific-based knowledge. Cosmic evolution tells us who we are and where we came from. They'll tell us that because they can apparently see all that stuff. Okay? Materialism. What we see around us is the real stuff, nothing more. We're we're living in a surface culture. The things we see, how we look, are the things that are most valued. Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, they're probably all out of date now. I'm probably showing my age. I bet there's something new coming along. But at the end of the day, it's how we look. That's the thing that's valued, surface. And God fails that test, if you think about it. God fails the test for scientific knowledge. And a lot of people like to talk about faith as being unjustified belief. It's unjustified. And I'd agree. It is. When you take it to be like that, it is unjustified. When you set out the criteria like that, there's no proof for God's existence. So let's pack up and shut the doors and go home. We're wasting our time. Invisible. God's invisible. No one's ever seen God. Done. Is that it? We end there? My story begins in 1982 when I gave my life to Jesus, became a born-again Christian. 1984, I became a baptized 
but got baptized. I committed my life to my church. I was empowered in many ways to speak of Christ in many ways that at the time I thought was acceptable. Looking back, maybe not so. I was a little bit zealous, you might say, wandering around with the Bible tucked under my arm, telling everybody how much they needed Jesus. I got really involved in a small evangelical church in London. I got involved in the youth work. I was a deacon. I preached. I led people to faith in Christ. I started evangelistic activities outside the church. And I felt in 1994 that I was actually called to go to a theological college. And I did two years training there with the idea of becoming a missionary to Brazil. And you might think that sounds good, Steve. But the reality is my whole faith fell apart like a house of cards while I was there. Why was that? Like I say, I'd been very zealous, been convinced of the truths I'd lived by. But I'd also begun to see that the things I'd professed could not be proved. It's that question of proof again. I began to see questions regarding the Bible. There's things that are very familiar with other ancient Near East writings, like the flood narrative. How was I supposed to deal with that? I thought the Bible was unique. There's 2 Chronicles 36, which says the exiles returned from Babylon at the command of the Lord God. And yet the Cyrus Cylinder in the British Museum tells the same events from another point of view. It was the god Marduk. I was starting to read that religious history could be interpreted in different ways. The, the national movements of God in scripture could be easily seen to be the result of socio-political influences. And it began to unravel in me, this certainty. I began to read philosophy. Immanuel Kant, German philosopher, says the mind is active in the knowing process. The mind is active. We don't just passively receive information. We play a part in shaping and forming that information in our minds. And in that middle of that process, God became increasingly invisible to me. I'd been told that my faith was grounded in truth and certainty, and yet suddenly it was unraveling around me. And I was just struggling. So I walked away because I felt nobody could help me. I walked away and spent 20 years as a professed atheist. You can still go to my YouTube channel and watch videos I made when I was an atheist. I'm talking about life as an atheist. Society has walked away from God. I bet you've got friends in your life, family, that have no interest in the things of God. Many people walk past this church, drive past this church. They don't care what's going on in here. They have no interest in what we're doing. Have you walked away? Are you thinking of walking away? Is it starting to unravel for you? Struggling with that thing of proof? How do I know this is true? No one has ever seen God. I spent five years as a teacher of religion and philosophy. 
I studied all the arguments for God's existence and non-existence. I taught them. I taught them to many students. There's many attempts to try and prove and disprove God's existence. They're all grounded in logic and reason. That's fine, but they don't work. I spent 20 years reading about them. I could tell you them all. They don't work. You know why? Because if they did, nobody would be arguing anymore. You go to the gas station, nobody says to you, hey, do you want to fill your car up with milk? No, because cars don't run on milk. If we knew the answers, everyone would be agreeing. So we live in this realm of uncertainty. And we're the ones that are held to account for that. We're told, well, you believe in God, but we don't see God, so God doesn't exist. Prove to me that God exists. But I say, hang on a minute, that's not fair. There are gaps everywhere. Faith is unjustified belief. That's where you want to start from. You're telling me that my faith is unjustified. Okay, let's see where that goes. Cosmic evolution. You want to tell me that the earth started with a singularity and from there everything emerged. That's fine. Science can get to 10 to the minus 33 seconds after that moment. It can't get me before that. On the basis of empiricism, touch, taste, sight, scent, smell, you can't get to any further back. You can't get to the point before that. That's where you enter into the realm of speculation or faith. We can't tell ourselves, we don't know where animate matter, how animate matter came from inanimate matter. I got a pop-up book at home that tells me the story of how life emerged, but it can't tell me how I got animate matter from inanimate matter. The process known as abiogenesis could have occurred, no idea how, still debated, but we're told that it's happened. It's a fact, according to science, but we're missing that little thing of verification. Touch, taste, sight, smell, see. I don't know that anything truly exists outside of my mind. Anyone that's seen The Matrix knows what I'm talking about here. Objective reality. We believe there's something outside of our minds that exists, but we can't get there. There are so many disconnects in our brains, it's scary to think about it. Stuff jumps across gaps in our brains before we've even got to the point of even understanding it. There is a gap here between what I'm perceiving at the front of my eye and what's going on at the back of my head. There's gaps all over the place. You want to talk about knowledge? You want to talk about objective reality? That's a tough one. But science tells us that knowledge and, and certainly verification, touch, taste, sight, sense, smell, is the basis of knowing everything. We know things. Science tells us everything. John Locke, famous British philosopher, empiricist, analyzed all these different things. He said, you can pick up anything and you can analyze it for its various parts. It's solid, it has a surface, it has a particular shape, a color, all sorts of things. What it can't do is tell you how all that pegs together. 
It can't tell you about structure. That's one of the problems with empiricism. It fails its own test. Paul Feyerbend, in the book Against Method, unpacks empiricism in the context of philosophy of science. He says, if you want to start with the idea that all our knowledge is based on what we see around us, then you would never have got to the idea that the earth rotates around the sun. Because we watch the sun going across the sky every single day, and we have no experience of whizzing around the solar system at 10,000 miles an hour, however fast we're going. I'm standing still. The sun is the thing that moves. That's, that's an argument that Feyerbend brings up in Against Method. He says it needs something more. It fails the test of empiricism. Faith and unjustified belief. There's lots of unjustified belief around us. So the question is this. How do we see and experience God? We've pushed things a little bit, haven't we? How do we push that regarding God? There's all these disconnects. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. And that's where we've been making the mistake. We've been looking inside. We've been using reason and logic to try and reach God. But there's disconnects everywhere when we do that. We're trying to reach the infinite from the finite. We're using the wrong method. It's out there. It's always meant to be out there. In fact, science has it right. It's always meant to be out there. It's always meant to be tangible. You know why? Because it's always meant to be seen in us. That's how God is known in the world. In us. Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That they may glorify God. Jesus tells us to love our neighbor, love our enemies, do all these ridiculous things that people wouldn't dream of thinking make sense. Why? Because that shows God's love in the world. Our faith was always meant to be seen. It was never meant to be sitting inside the back of our head, meditating on, meditated on, and that's it. It was meant to be practiced. Go out into the world and do the things I've commanded you to do. That's why Jesus tells us this story in Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. How do we know who the righteous and unrighteous are? Because they're doing these things. They're feeding the hungry. They're taking care of those who have nothing to wear. They're visiting the sick. They're visiting those in prison. That's how we show God, God's love in the world. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God's love was shown among us. God sent Jesus into the world that we might live through him. Why are people rejecting God? Is it because there's no proof logically or is it because there's no proof 
visibly. Christopher Hitchens wrote a book, God is Not Great, Why Religion Poisons Everything. That's a story about how one man was rejected, was rejecting Christianity because of his mistreatment at the hands of Christians. Christopher Hitchens was treated appallingly by Christians in his younger years. And he wrote a book telling us why God is a load of old rubbish. Atheists are telling us a story. Society is telling us a story. They're telling us they're not seeing something going on. We don't get to re-narrate that story, by the way, by telling them that they're sinful and unbelievers. They're telling us something about ourselves. They're telling us there's something wrong with our faith. There's something wrong with God. I left my faith behind because I fell out of love with the story I'd been brought up to believe was the only truth. That story led to judgment, anger, divisiveness, pride, and self-righteousness. I came back to my faith because I fell in love with God through Jesus Christ. We damage people in the world we live in when we claim knowledge of God and do nothing about it. You want to know what claiming knowledge of God looks like without love? It's right there. The reality is, we're all in the same boat. We're all starting from the same place. I've got lots of questions. I've got lots of doubts. That's what being a Christian is. Because we're grafted into Israel. And Israel's name means the one who wrestles with God. If you're sitting here with questions and doubts, that's okay. That means you're living and breathing. Yep, you're living and breathing. Science is absolutely right. There should be proof of God's existence in the world. The mistake is not realizing there is. We're all living by faith. The trick is, the evidence of that. So we refocus things. You have people in your life that are saying there's no proof for God. Refocus that question. Really? There's no evidence for God's existence? Let me tell you the story of my life. Let me tell you how my life has been changed by Jesus Christ. Let me tell you the journey I've gone on. You know, we can logically debate God's existence and people will always find a counter-argument. Always find a counter-argument. You know what somebody can never take away from you? Your story. Nobody can ever take away the truth of your story. And you know what? In Christ, we live a new story. I needed a new story. 20 years of atheism, I got to the point where I was powerless in my life. I needed a new story. I needed something new to live my life by. And boy, did I get it with Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, sister. You know, our friends, even you, I don't know. I'm not here to dig holes and uh, I'm not here to attack beliefs. I'm here to push the boundaries. Evolution. Lots of people say, I believe we evolved. All right? If you want to believe that, that's up to you. I want to push that. What's it look like if we apply that story to life? Survival of the fittest. All right. 
takes away God. All right. The reality of that story is you get to serve somebody else's end. You're only as useful as you are productive. And what we often find is that when people talk about evolution and survival of the fittest, they often then want to bring in via the back door a Christian morality that says, but we're still the best. No. If you want to live according to the notion of survival of the fittest, you don't get to be the best. You're useful. And you're useful as far as somebody else needs you. If somebody takes all your stuff because they want it, tough luck. Boo-hoo you. If somebody comes along and takes all your family away from you, destroys everything you've got, tough luck. Boo-hoo. That's life. Because you live on a flat level playing field where nothing is more valuable than anything else unless it's useful to somebody else. You can't bring in the Christian morality by the back door and say, I don't want to be at the bottom of the pile. Well, you are. You could be. Thomas Hobbes, life is nasty, brutish, and short. Nasty and brutish, I'll stick with. It is a pretty bleak world when you live like that. I want to encourage you with these words. God does not remain hidden. God's story in Christ is different. All are valued. All are loved. Do you know what? That's a story I want to live by. I don't care whether evolution is true or not. I'm interested in the story. I want to live by that story. You know why? Because when I visit my hospice patients, people with dementia that haven't spoken a word for many, many months and just sit there, I don't want to tell them and their families, hey, how's your random cosmic blip on the universe doing today? I want to sit there looking at that person and saying, you are a beloved child of God and I see God in you. All are valued. All are loved. The people in hospice I visit, they can't do anything. They're not useful as far as many are concerned. They're loved. That's what they are. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God is them. There is no fear in love. We're so afraid of getting it wrong. How do I know God exists? What if I've made the wrong choice? Who cares? I didn't know anything when I came back to my faith. I just knew I needed a different story. I needed God. We're so afraid of getting it wrong. Take a chance. Perfect fear drives out love. Fear, controlling, divisive, suspicious, angry, drives us away from each other, drives us away from God. There's no peace when you're constantly living in fear. And boy, do we live in a society that's driven by fear right now. Dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another because God loved us first. My wife said to me, when I was preparing this message, she said, why don't you wing it and take a chance, see what comes up? That's not me. But I got here early and I'm reading this book right now called The Divine Art of Dying as part of my hospice work. 
God's got a sense of humor because God thought, ah, you can wing a little bit here. So I read these words this morning. This world is like a flower in bloom as you watch it. It wilts right before your eyes. So why are you attached to it? Why am I so attached to anything, anyone? To die is this, letting go and letting come. Letting go of one world and letting come of another world. Even if we don't know where that's really existing. But we'll only be able to find out when we have the courage to let go and put our foot into the territory of the unknown. I love that idea. We will only be able to find out when we have the courage to let go and put our foot into the territory of the unknown. I came back to my faith, not because I proved God existed, but because in Christ, God offers me a better story to live my life by. On my own, I was not making it. After 20 years as an atheist, I did not come back because I had it all worked out. Because I proved God existed or believed in this, believed in that. I came back simply because my life had become unmanageable. And I needed a power greater than me to restore me to sanity. I started there. And God's spirit took me on a journey. We don't ever prove God exists. We experience God's existence. The psalmist says, taste and see that God is good. Jesus reaches out to every single one of us here and says, come with me. I want to take you on a journey. I want to show you things about your life that you would never have discouraged, uh, never have discovered. And when you're ready, I'll show you even more. And then more. And then I'm going to show you who I am. And I'm going to blow your mind about who I really am. We are offered the chance in Christ to immerse ourselves in a different story. The story of God who loves us, deeply loves us. You know, when I read about Jesus in the Bible, I want to be more like him. I want to be more like Jesus. You know why? Because I think a world that's more like Jesus is a pretty great place to live. I'm choosing to live in a world where the story of God's love is a better story to live by rather than the story of living in fear. Because anything else for me is simply hopeless. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And God's love is made complete in us. Amen.